Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday morning, October the 29th, 2022. Uh, as always, I'm broadcasting from San Francisco on the edge of Silicon Valley. It's been quite a week here uh, on the tech front. We're still catching our breath. It seems as if the entire social media industry, or certainly the ad industry, has collapsed. Um, astonishing, really. Uh, since becoming meta, since changing its name, uh, Facebook has uh, lost 650, I thought it was actually $750 billion. It was valued at over a trillion dollars, uh, and now it's only valued at 250 billion, only 250 billion, still significant, but it's an astonishing fall. Uh, one day this week, uh, Facebook lost 20, 25% of its value. Uh, meanwhile, Elon Musk, of course, has taken over at Twitter. Lots of controversy about that uh, on the content front. Lots of questions as well about what Musk will do with Twitter. A lot of the crypto people, the crypto people left, if there are any, believe that uh, Musk might transform Twitter and incorporate crypto, crypto technology, blockchain technology, make it a, a so-called Web3 product. Um, lots of rumors about that. But the reality is that crypto has gone to sleep um, as a crypto winter, according to the Financial Times, which is risking turning it into an ice age, quoting from the FT. Um, uh, after a spectacular crash earlier this year, the crypto industry's most popular tokens have gone to sleep suggesting amateur investors have fallen out of love with the once thrilling asset class and big funds have decided to keep their distance. We've, uh, over the last year, we've done a few shows on crypto. We haven't done anything in the last six months, perhaps because crypto has quite literally gone to sleep or perhaps even died. Uh, we are doing a crypto show, though, today with a new book, The Bitcoin Dilemma, Weighing the Economic and Environmental Costs and Benefits, an interesting subtitle about the, particularly the environmental co uh, costs of Bitcoin, uh, written by um, Colin L. Reed, my guest today. But before we deal with the costs, Colin is talking to me from Plattsburgh, New York. Um, is crypto still alive? Is it even an issue? I mean, I understand that we should be talking about the environmental costs, but does that even matter? Has crypto simply gone away? Was it just one of those typical Silicon Valley booms that are replaced by something else, by AI or uh, another kind of technology? You know, I don't think so. Uh, just by the very evidence that China, uh, the Federal Reserve in the United States are exploring crypto alternatives, some sort of digital currency, this is the way for the future. It's going to have staying power, I think, in very different forms than we see it today. But there's no doubt about the uh, potential utility of the coin. Explain what you mean, though. You you mentioned China. Um, Bitcoin is a or, 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 or crypto is a distributed currency. Why would the Chinese use it, given that it's a centralized authoritarian state? We've done a number of shows on China recently. 
Sure, you know that uh, recently China actually banned the use of Bitcoin. Uh, they really hope to substitute their own digital currency. Uh, you know, people want to do things on their smartphone, uh, on on their computer. Uh, uh, want to do things in in modes that Satoshi Nakamoto, the developer of Bitcoin, uh, hoped uh, would accomplish when he developed the coin in the first place over a dozen years ago. So there's no doubt that we're going to move from paper to digital currencies, and uh, some countries are a little bit farther ahead on it than others. It's not convincing, Colin. You know, I have a smartphone. I use digital. Uh, I, I I charge everything quote-unquote digitally, but I don't have any crypto. So you need to explain what you mean by crypto and, and why it really is the future. I've been hearing this for years. Oh, it's the future. Oh, it's the future. I heard this in the dot-com boom in the 1990s. I heard it about Web 2.0. Sometimes it's the future, sometimes it isn't. But what exactly do you mean by digital currency? And why is that different from, say, simply charging stuff um, on one's credit card from one's smartphone, which is a perfectly adequate and um, logical way of, of doing digital payment. You know, maybe we should go right back to the term cryptocurrency. There's nothing particularly cryptographic about it that that gives it the sense that uh, these transactions are completely anonymous, uh, that uh, you can't really discern the flows of the currency in one direction or another. That's really not the case. Many of them are actually fully transparent. You just simply can't really connect the transactions with who might be owning them. So that's really the only difference between you making a purchase on your credit card and uh, someday making it on a digital currency, the traceability of it. So you're absolutely right. Uh, taking money directly out of our accounts to pay for a restaurant bill by uh, using a digital equivalent uh, of an ATM, as in Zelle and these other networks. Really, it is a digital form of currency or exchange, and we've been using that for quite some time. But up till now, it's been mediated by the banking industry, overseen by the Office of Control of the Currency and the Federal Reserve in the U.S. and elsewhere. And with digital currency, that will tend to be decentralized with all the potential advantages of lower transaction costs, but a fair number of real disadvantages with regard to consumer protection and regulation as well. Yeah, one of the, one of the, uh, the men who benefited dramatically financially, at least from the crypto boom, used to walk around with a T-shirt saying, banks are not your friends. Um, clearly, this guy didn't turn out to be many people's friends either. He seems to have run off with hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so are you saying that the difference between digital currency and cryptocurrency or digital payments as I do on my phone using my credit card and crypto is that one is anonymous and one isn't? That's the fundamental difference. Well, somewhat anonymous. Uh, like I say, you can go into the Bitcoin ledger and see every single transaction that's occurred in the last 10 minutes. Well, you can't see who's a, who owns the various accounts. Those are protected by almost the equivalent of banks, these large exchanges that essentially oversee and protect your currency in, in the cloud. So we basically are having faith in these institutions that are now replacing the banks that we had faith in as well. And yet many of the crypto crimes you're hearing about and these large uh, uh, exchange owners that you mentioned a moment ago, 
they're not as regulated as protected. And we see an awful lot of uh, crypto crime and theft of these wallets as a consequence. So this is a system, you're right, that the hope was always that they would replace the banking system. But they're really replacing one set of financial institutions with a completely different set of financial institutions for which regulators really haven't been able to keep up with. And they're probably inadequately protected. So I don't think the cryptocurrencies and digital exchange of this sort is really going to go mainstream until people feel that their money is kept safe. Yeah, we've done a number of shows on it. We did one with Jamie Bartlett. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his new book, The Missing Crypto Queen, which was about a um, a woman who stole billions of dollars. A lot of it seemed to be centered on the Russian economy. Um, so so I, I, I take your point, but uh, why would people... I mean, you, you, you suggest that there's a problem with the banks or the financial industry, what's the problem? Are banks, in your mind, evil? Or are they taking too much of a cut? What's the problem with the current financial industry? I don't think there really is a problem. It can actually uh, do your ATM and uh, uh, smartphone transactions very inexpensively, especially some of the bigger networks uh, with the economies of scale that we uh, had hoped that would bring down these costs. As a matter of fact, compared to a, a Bitcoin transaction, your typical ATM transaction, presumably all digitally, uh, costs about 44 cents for the system to administer. Visa maybe even a little bit less. But the average Bitcoin transaction, when you include all the various costs I'm happy to discuss with you, uh, costs many hundreds of dollars for a single transaction. Almost all those hidden from the transactor themselves. Instead, society pays those additional costs, which is very different from the way that Bitcoin was designed and uh, uh, so much appealed to us in the first place back in 2010 or so. So is your book, uh, Colin, is it a warning that when I, and, and, and I've had so many people on the show, uh, Bitcoin evangelists of one kind or other, they've kind of gone away now. Women like Camila Russo wrote a book called The Infinite Machine. Um, Ethan Lau wrote a book uh, called uh, Once a Bitcoin Miner, all idealizing Bitcoin. Are you suggesting that the costs are hidden? Is this is your new book, The Bitcoin Dilemma? Is it a warning about the hidden costs of Bitcoin? Sure. And not. Uh, not only the costs of which some of them are environmental, but also the benefits. I mean, cryptocurrency and decentralized finance, uh, uh, the, some of the, the abilities that Ethereum's new protocol will enable certainly are innovations. I would not want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And perhaps Bitcoin is the only notorious example really left. It relies on a different transaction method and coding method called proof of work which is really the root of the environmental damages. But it is also still um, by far and away the largest coin. So until so, so yeah, yeah, let's be clear here because some people are going to be confused. Not everyone's as much an expert, Colin, as you. Your book is called The Bitcoin Dilemma. It's not called The Crypto Dilemma. So you are warning people about Bitcoin. There are other, as you suggest, there are other cryptocurrencies. One is Ethereum. We did a show with Laura shin on that um actually in february of this year she has a new book out the cryptopians 
um, a book about the Ethereum craze. Are you suggesting then that the hidden costs of some of these um, cryptocurrencies are more significant than others and the, the Bitcoin is the worst? Correct. Absolutely. Well, say more. Tell me why. What's what's so bad about Bitcoin over Ethereum, for example? Every cryptocurrency needs to uh, protect the transactions and they do so in different ways. The emerging way, the way that represents most all encoding of coins beyond Bitcoin right now is proof of stake. It tends to be a relatively more centralized way to protect the transactions that's pretty environmentally benign. It uses about maybe a thousandth or a ten thousandth of the amount of power to protect transactions than Bitcoin does. Now, Bitcoin is how many coins at one time started. Bitcoin led the way by using a technique called proof of work that makes it so expensive to try to disrupt transactions that players are, are discouraged from doing so. They really couldn't afford the millions or billions of dollars to try to somehow uh, hijack the system. But there are other ways to protect the system as well. Bitcoin will never change, though, in their existing encoding system, a system that worked perfectly well in the scale that Satoshi Nakamoto had designed back in uh, 2008. It just doesn't work so well nowadays when the scale of the crypto industry is ratcheted up so many times over. Explain, Colin, your interest in this. Most of the people I get on the show who are written books about crypto tend to be, and you're, you seem probably similar age to me, uh, much younger. Um, I don't mean to sound ageist. <laughs> you're um, you're a, a professor of banking and sustainability at Sunny Plattsburgh. You've written a dozen books, and you're a former mayor of Plattsburgh. W what is it about crypto, and particularly uh, Bitcoin that has um, inspired you to, to write a book, to invest so much time and energy in, 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 in Bitcoin? Sure. When I became mayor, I discovered that uh, our city had actually allowed in uh, a very large Bitcoin operator, a number of Bitcoin operators, but one particularly large that represented at that time uh, maybe 10 or 20 percent of the entire uh, Bitcoin mining industry. At that time, it was already quite energy intensive. This company alone ended up coming in and becoming the largest energy consumer in our city by far. Uh, and we're a city that has incredibly low energy prices. We receive power from the Niagara River. You know, you probably heard all about the Edison and Tesla wars for generation back over 100 years ago. Well, we receive power at, and can sell it to industrial users at about 1.9 cents per kilowatt hour. In every major cryptocurrency operator, probably, or certainly in the United States, maybe around the world, knew about this very cheap power and all wanted to come in and get it. Unfortunately, we also only had a quota of it. Mm. When we uh, sold that 10 kilo or 10 megawatt capacity to this Bitcoin miner, uh, it used all the excess capacity our city had and even forced me to go out and buy more sustainable energy on spot markets to make up for the occasional shortfall, which ended up being very costly for our 
residents created quite an outcry and caused me to have to understand and then ultimately deal with this industry in ways that are quite novel, but ended up meeting our needs here. Yeah, it's a really, this is actually very interesting. Um, I, I know that there's a, a New York crypto moratorium. Um, the industry is up in arms, uh, particularly in the context of the election, the upcoming election for governor, which um, apparently the Democrats are in danger of, of losing, which would be astonishing given New York's politics. Um, is, is this debate showing up not just locally in, in, in your politics, but in New York politics broadly, the, the issue of crypto and who can do what and why and how? It is. And with one important um, difference, as, as you know, we in Plattsburgh imposed a moratorium uh, up to 18 months to uh, try and better understand the industry and figure out ways to cope with it. I ended up removing the moratorium after about six months after we made some innovations that made sure that that uh, additional uh, Bitcoin mining would not be a problem. The What really discouraged new Bitcoin mines from coming to town was we simply insisted that they recycle some of all some of their wasted heat uh, on the coldest days of the year. So we're not sending quite literally uh, uh, mil millions of uh, watts of uh, power up into the up the smokestack. Um, and so you mentioned that at New York state level, they're also proposing a moratorium to better understand how cryptocurrency will affect uh, some pretty elaborate plans for reducing our carbon footprint in this state. Uh, you mentioned that uh, this remains a political issue and the governor has refused to sign this uh, uh, moratorium that's been passed by our assembly and our Senate, the two chambers, legislative chambers. And it's perhaps one of the first examples of crypto mining profits being used to fund campaigns to protect their interests and in not having any further regulation. It's fascinating, particularly in the context of the crisis of social media today. Who would have imagined the birth of Facebook and Twitter, the idea of surveillance capitalism? Those things are fairly self-evident now. So perhaps the warnings, the early warnings by people like yourself um, is important. It also brings to mind the global issue. Um, I know that in El Salvador, there was an embrace of cryptocurrency. I'm not sure if it was Bitcoin or Ethereum. As you mentioned, the Chinese have also embraced it. Is your book a warning to a country like El Salvador that crypto and Bitcoin isn't quite as simple as it appears? Is it a wake-up call uh, for people who embrace these things because they don't really understand its consequences? You're absolutely right. It's a very complicated subject. And I break my book up into a number of different sections, including explaining the science and the computer science of this industry. Um, going right back to the roots of why Bitcoin was formed and the very um, altruistic goals of Satoshi Nakamoto at the time, how that uh, philosophy became warped uh, um, pretty quickly. And then uh, the, uh, discuss the public policy ramifications. You know, El Salvador is already pretty far down that path. Uh, and it is a uh, Bitcoin that they chose to adopt. And uh, without an awful lot of broad appeal in the across their state. Uh, as a matter of fact, I 
believe that most commentators would agree that it's a failed experiment in El Salvador. And yet the president of El Salvador. Surprise, surprise, uh, Colin. I mean, who, who would have ever imagined that, right? Right. <laughs> what could have possibly gone wrong? <laughs> I mean, just very briefly explain what El Salvador did. Uh, well, it, it's it's so bizarre. It probably deserves another book, or, or 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 certainly an extra chapter in your book on 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 why this is so so ill advised for a country with a to, to put it kindly a developing economy. You know the crypto bros, the their sense of uh, um, liberalism, of libertarianism. Uh, they're bring uh, currency to the masses, take groups like the Federal Reserve out of the monetary system. It sounds on the surface appealing, especially to a certain uh, mentality or age of which the president of El Salvador is a member of. So he was really courted by the Bitcoin industry. And this is Bitcoin, not Ethereum. Ethereum doesn't share many of these same problems and uh, was willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in a relatively poor country to purchase this currency that would re replace or at least act in parallel to their uh, traditional currency. Now, first of all, you're doing it in a country that has a comparatively low ad adoption rate for high technology, for smartphones, for the ability to conduct in Bitcoin. A lot of the merchants were reluctant to adopt it, even though there's an awful lot of coercion that they need to adopt it. Every individual in the state was given a certain amount of Bitcoin, if I recall, around $35. But with Bitcoin, every single transaction is somewhat costly to the point where ultimately the only people who really got rich in this conversion were the people that uh, administer in Bitcoin networks. In surprise, surprise. And, and, and that's true across the sector. And, and what about the environmental consequences in a country, a developing country? like uh, El Salvador, with a huge amount of land and natural resources, but also the potential to destroy its own environment. Right. You know, most of the world is still uh, uses fossil fuels to power our electricity. And the energy footprint of Bitcoin, as you probably have read, is equivalent to the total electricity consumption of major nations like, you know, Sweden or Ireland, for instance, Argentina, and that kind of range of size of power consumption. So uh, it ultimately results in environmental degradation, the use of fossil fuels. The Bitcoin industry will often argue that that they're securing for themselves uh, sustainable power. And if that's the case, then that's still denying that sustainable power from you being used elsewhere. For instance, in New York state, we also have aspirations to move to primarily sustainable power, but we're finding we're needing to keep natural gas powered plants online for longer because of the energy needs for this industry alone. So that means that even though we've got this goal to reduce our carbon footprint, we can't because of, our, of the industry we've now allowed into the state. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, Musk has proved to be rather ambivalent, hot and cold on um, on, uh, on on crypto. Given obviously Tesla and his other businesses, it'll be interesting to see whether he does incorporate uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, or Ethereum into 
uh, Twitter. This is really interesting stuff, Colin. It's an important issue. And you're a political man, a, a mayor of your town of Plattsburgh. I wrote something on crypto and Steve Bannon. It seems as if uh, the Bannons of the world are embracing crypto. Um, is there a political angle to this? Is there a reason why crypto seems very comfortably at home in Putin's Russia? Why men like Bannon, hardcore anarchist libertarians are embracing it? You know, that's really interesting. And, and you wrote a book uh, about uh, called The Internet is Not the Answer at one time. Yes, I, I remember that one. And, you know, and, and you document and I document in my book as well that there is an altruistic uh, and a libertarian spirit to cryptocurrency. When Satoshi Nakamoto uh, came up with the concept of Bitcoin, he or she, because we don't know who the person actually is, um, uh, envisioned the ability to replace the traditional banking industry. And out of a skepticism at that time over the bank's roles in 2008 in leading to the great uh, recession, the global financial meltdown we all experienced. But he also envisioned it as essentially a people's coin, something that would have incredibly low transactions costs, be very easy to transact. But since then, it had really been adopted um, from those kind of small L libertarian roots into the corporate greed that you discuss in your book and I discuss in mine, replacing the altruists who had uh, very noble goals. And even though Satoshi Nakamoto would now become one, be one of the most wealthy people in the world, had he or she tapped into the wealth that they created, they, he left that uh, wealth completely. Wait, would we say that Satoshi Nakamoto, the, the equivalent would be Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web, gave it away to humanity for free, um, oh. and then has watched aghast as billions, tens of billions, trillions of dollars have been made, uh, and in many ways it's corrupted our culture, our commerce. Is, th is that the equivalent, even though we don't even know who this character is? Yeah, that's a good analogy, but for one thing... Uh... A lot of the original encoding of Bitcoin to protect those transactions was done by Nakamoto himself and a couple of other um, colleagues. And in return for being willing to do that encoding at that time, and we still are awarded with, uh, rewarded with Bitcoin as a subsidy to be willing to do that work. Now, the Bitcoin that uh, Nakamoto mined would now be worth, or at least back last year was worth um, tens of billions of dollars, which he never touched. Uh, so that's the only difference is that Nakamoto potentially was made a millionaire and if, a billionaire. And if Nakamoto really truly still exists and survives today, um, is one of the richest people in the world, but never touched that wealth. Nakamoto's goal was always altruistic to create a people's coin. But once people saw very quickly the level of incredible wealth that that coin could create, that that kind of gospel of Nakamoto was replaced by a gospel of greed, which you and other commentators have documented. Yeah, and I, you don't have to be a genius to see through this stuff. I mean, I wrote about it. Lots of other people did. 
we've heard about, you know, the people's coin, the people's republic, the people's this, the people's that. Sometimes it's true, but ultimately it's a great seduction. It's, it's a nice marketing tool to encourage people. And it's particularly attractive on the Bitcoin crypto front because it offers a people's coin and it also offers the people this speculative mania of getting rich fast. And of course, most of the people now involved in the Bitcoin crypto speculative mania have not so much got rich fast, but have got poor fast. Let's end, uh, Colin, by trying to think forward. I, I wrote something uh, in August suggesting that by 2042, uh, Trump, please God, crypto, QAnon and other things won't exist. Um, Trump certainly won't. And I don't suppose QAnon will, although there may be other weird conspiracy theories. Hopefully I'll still be around in 2042 and you. Uh, I, I, what do you think on crypto? In 2042, you suggested at the beginning that you thought it was going to survive. Um, so, so, so my question to you is twofold. Firstly, what do you predict? But secondly, and perhaps more importantly, particularly in the context of the Bitcoin dilemma, what are you advising should exist in 2042 if some sort of distributed digital coin system is inevitable? Is it an Ethereum style one as opposed to a Bitcoin one? Correct. Ethereum is designed in a very different way that uh, allows it to revise the transactions much more frequently, 40 times more quickly than Bitcoin can uh, at a rate that could approach at least the the rapidity of transactions you would expect when you use your Visa card. Also in Ethereum and other newer protocols, you can do an awful lot of other things. For instance, uh, uh, you will be able to take out car loans and small personal loans. You, it can act as a savings mechanism and earn an interest rate. All various more elaborate contracts that can be built into modern coins through something called decentralized finance. Bitcoin really isn't amenable to that. And it would be difficult, if not impossible, to modify the coin to do so. To do any modifications of the Bitcoin protocol requires a vote of the majority of all the mining uh, potential capacity in the entire world. And miners are reluctant to modify the coin in any way to make it more energy benign, to make it uh, transact more frequently, et cetera, because ultimately any change that increases the efficiency is going to take profits out of the mining industry and be and contribute to their downfall. I know I take your point, but you, you, you come back to Ethereum, you said it's a better model. But even with Ethereum, you still require enormous production costs. You know, uh, Ethan Lau wrote the book, um, Once a Bitcoin Miner. Um, he might follow up with once an Ethereum miner. I mean, Ethereum and all these other cryptocurrencies still require mining. They still require enormous amounts of computer power to be produced. So they're not necessarily radically better, are they, for the environment? They're radically better. And as you know, um, Ethereum is moving to a new protocol uh, called proof of stake that's about a thousand times uh, more energy efficient, as more centralized, essentially you're requiring entities to stake or ensure that that the coin isn't corrupted rather than using vast amounts of of uh, electricity to as a, a credible threat to prevent corruption so all the new my, all the new coins that are being developed 
and even Ethereum that transitioned to proof of stake is radically better in the energy space. Uh, Colin, uh, you know, excuse this maybe naive question. Why, why does cryptocurrency require mining? Why does it require this massive investment of computer power? It doesn't all, only Bitcoin really anymore. Uh, the Federal Reserve asked a group in, at MIT to help develop a new coin for their use that requires very little power, is incredibly safe, can transact with greater volumes than the entire Visa, MasterCard, and American Express network combined uh, in a, a very low energy intensity way. So there are ways to do everything that we had hoped Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum could do at some point. We can do that in other ways. But uh, the, the, probably the difficult part is who are going to let, that, let them do that? It's going to be something that central, central banks around the world essentially monopolize. It's going to be something that our existing commercial banks uh, um, uh, are enlisted to do the, the clearing of transactions. There's still some political and economic issues to resolve. But the energy problem really only lays with Bitcoin at this point. You, you, you suggest, or maybe it's just from the tone of your voice, that there's something wrong with central banks controlling crypto. Surely the future, Colin, say by 2042 or 2050, surely the future is one where maybe you're right, there is some sort of cryptocurrency, but it's run by central banks or at least controlled so that people are able to trust it so that it has uh, uh, an economic backbone. Otherwise, the future is just complete financial anarchy. The otherwise, the future is Weimar or El Salvador. You're absolutely right. If we uh, stick with this completely libertarian uh, gospel of, of greed approach to mining, we should expect nothing different than what we're seeing today with, the, with an awful lot of theft of coins, of uh, uh, people that don't trust the network. I'm actually by no means opposed to central banks doing, I think, first of all, that's inevitable. And second of all, we need to impose on this industry the same sort of regulations we realized we needed to impose on the banking industry back in the 1930s with those banking failures. So central banks need to be a role. There's, it doesn't make sense. I know there's an awful lot of people that are critics of central banks and the Federal Reserve, especially after 2008, including Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, we've had some shows on certainly very critical of the the federal reserve um so yeah i'm no i mean there's certainly not ideal no one would pretend that it isn't and i'm a critic myself of the federal reserve over the last year or two in kind of missing the boat in, with regard to inflation but it, monetary policy is one of the two prongs of econ, macroeconomic policy that Keynes developed you know back almost 100 years ago it's a necessary uh, tool. It, if used wisely, it can be very useful. And But to take that hand, and, uh, that tool, and essentially tie that hand behind the back of potential policymakers is going to make it even harder to control things like inflation. And we also need that regulatory aspect to ensure that the coin is kept safe and not corrupted. And uh, our, uh, so we have faith in using digital coins in the future. Right now, I think a lot of people shy away from digital coins because of a lot mm. of the antics that you see happening in the industry. And that's unfortunate. Just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, we need to deal with that squarely. Well, 
the Bitcoin dilemma. There you have it. Weighing the economic and environmental costs and benefits. Colin Reed understands he's the mayor or was the mayor of Plattsburgh. Um, so he has a front row on this Bitcoin dilemma. Really interesting, actually. Really interesting issue and book. Uh, congratulations, uh, Colin, on the new book. Uh, what other things would you suggest people read? What are you enjoying these days? What books? I'm writing a book on sustainability. I teach sustainability along with the money and banking class at SUNY Plattsburgh. So I'm reading uh, a lot, going right back to Joseph Schupenter and uh, mm. uh, Creative Destruction and uh, uh, Digital Gold talked about, your book talked about it. And uh, uh, a few years ago, Manuel Castells wrote a book called, yeah. series called The Information Age that really discusses, well, I, I really believe in, in creative destruction, but hopefully we're replacing old institutions with better institutions. Unfortunately, nowadays, in social networking and things like Bitcoin, we're trying to replace uh, older institutions with institutions that don't work particularly well yet. So the challenge is to get it right. Excellent, Colin.